Shut up and sit down. Okay. Hello, everybody. I got my stuff all tangled up. Can you guys hear me? Because I had to reinstall Skype. Um, my computer got respawned. Um, <laughs> I'm muffled. Okay. Is that better? Okay. The mic was a little off. Um, I had to reset Windows. And um, when you when you reset Windows, I kept my files, obviously. Uh but uh, all my programs were gone, so I had to put everything back in, and then I had to, like, uh, do all my settings, and nothing is quite right. And, you know, you spend years, and I do mean years, setting all your shit up and getting it just the way you want it, and then something like this happens. And then today when I was writing, I realized I'd lost my custom dictionary. Now, if you're not a writer, I don't know why you're listening to my podcast, but if you're not a writer... Maybe you just find me entertaining. But you don't understand what it's like to lose your custom dictionary or your autocorrect options that you've put in because you can't ever miss, because you can't spell inconvenient for your life. Um, so today, I have to say, it was very painful. And for those of you who have meandered into the voice chat of my podcast server, we're not over there. <laughs> So come back over to the podcast <laughs> in the text channel. I see you guys. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, it's just, it's weird. It's all, um, all my stuff is horrible. It's it's like respawning in the wrong part of, like you think you're going to be in one part of the game and you die and you go back further than you thought you would because you missed a save point or whatever. And so that's where I am. I missed a save point and everything's horrible over here. It's terrible. It's terrible. Tonight we're going to plot drift some Tony Genozo Sentinel fix because Julie wants some ideas and wants something to play with. So what we're going to do. I'll let her pick the topic. Um, we're going to get started. I'm not Julie, honey. I'm a le- I, oh. I'm lady holder. Put I'm, me back. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, you are. Um, she's not on my board. Oh, that's what she meant. She she sent me a message telling me she was going to be late because she was out of water. And I was like, <laughs> what? Late for what? And now I get it. And now I get it. Okay. Also, you going to make me a mod or not? Well, you weren't on the server when you were elsewhere. Oh, and I was setting that up I, when Julie actually made me a mod role because I don't know how to do this Discord uh, shit. And, I mean, Discord and me, well, like, it doesn't even make sense. And um, you weren't available. You weren't on the podcast. I'm sorry. when uh, Yeah, no, you should be. You hadn't even joined it. <laughs> Well, you know, I was having a life type thing, you know. I just that happened every once in a while. I server earlier in the week and announced it. No, you didn't. Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, if you'll make a comment in the chat, I'll click on you and uh, make you a mod. Anyways, Jilly is now on the phone. 
and I shall click on her, and she shall she shall plot drift. <laughs> you two have fun. Um, I think mm-hmm. she added as a mod when I wasn't looking, because um, you're listed as a mod now. She's good like that. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I got to put up with? Beyond the you fact are that a beleaguered soul. I am. <laughs> I also I also tore a nail. Uh-oh. Terrible. Over- that's that that's that's the tragedy only behind spilling your coffee. Yeah. Anyways, Tony Dinozo is a sentinel. Now I have written Tony um, as a guide in the mm-hmm. in the. The subtle body, and I wrote him as a guide in what's it? Um, uh, one word. Oh, it's the other mothership story you wrote. I can't think of the. Yeah. Is it ascendant? Yes, ascendant. Yeah, in SOA he will be. Um, he will be a guide. Yes, he will be. Um. He will be uh, a guide. So, yeah. Now, I do write him as a guide most of the time. Um, yeah. But that, we've talked about, I actually, after having, I've written him as a Sentinel tw- twice. Twice. I loved twice, twice, one twice, twice, twice. over the summer with um, where he was Dominic. It yeah. was great. That was one of my favorites um, of any of my Sentinel Guide stories. That's one of my favorites. Um, but and I actually prefer writing him. After having done it a few times, I actually find that I, I think I have a – it's easier for me to write him as a Sentinel in, in some ways. I'll, I think he's very adaptable. I think you can easily make him – I mean, it's not like it's a huge preference because I clearly don't hesitate to write him as a guide. But I have a hard time finding people I ship him with that I see as a guide. And that's, right. that's the struggle. And it's a big it's one. to pair him with. Yeah. It is a big problem because the the people I really ship him with the most, I don't see as guides at all. So he, he, he by virtue of being flexible, winds up the guide. But speaking of adaptable things and toning at the same time, I loved your EAD with the Teen Wolf and the, um yeah. That was rocking. Thank you. Overqualified. Yeah, I really dug that. <laughs> and when, when he when, when he put three in that dude's chest, I was like, yes! <laughs> shoot someone, Tony. Shoot them. <laughs> now, <laughs> and then the second shot was epic. <laughs> yeah, I I just I I initially I. Conceived, uh, I had, I wanted to do a story around, that could lead to Noah and Tony being together, but um, um, I conceived that particular plot around that la- that 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 moment of him sh- him killing him that last that last kill. So headshots um, for the win. Mm-hmm. I think actually there's a lot of chemistry between them. Um, 
in the story already. So I could see it. Yeah, I think I'm kind of my 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 plan was to kind of take it kind of, to kind of like a friends friend sort of like friends with benefits, and then sort of it just kind of grows, you know. Um, because um, I'm thinking, you know, because I I think one of the reasons with one of the things with Teen Wolf that I struggle with, I, I've read lots of stories where that are later that are after the end of season two, um, that I've really enjoyed. So it's not an issue, but this is a writer. My credulity is strained that this, that Noah Skolinski didn't find out about um, what was going on at that moment. It too personally involved Styles for that to to ride out that way. I also it strained it also strains my credulity. My um, I feel like it it, it was. The supernatural landed on in a very real way in his father's workplace. Two two episodes before where Gerard Argent kidnapped Styles, and I could mm-hmm. see Styles needing some time to process. But it was perfectly clear from all those deputies being killed that his father was never safe from the supernatural, and ignorance was not helping. So no. it, it kind of makes Styles to c- continue to try to hold on to that secret for another full season which I think it was another full season before the sheriff found out. Um, I think it, it just strains, it, it just strains limits to my credulity that, that styles held on to that, that denial for so long. It was always denial. You know, it was always a, a wishful thinking, you know, putting his hands over his ears kind of denial from the beginning that his father was safer for being ignorant. But there are two, there were two shocking things that should have shocked him out of that denial. The first being all those deputies being killed and his father being directly exposed and endangered by the supernatural where ignorance clearly did not help him. And the other being when, um, when Stiles, who assumed he was safe from the Argents by virtue of being human, was kidnapped and hurt to send a message to werewolves, it should have sent, it should have been clear to Styles that um, his father was not safe for being ignorant because someone could easily take his father to be a message to Styles. I mean that was clearly the way that world worked. So that he um, um, now Noah gets kidnapped at the end of season three A, I believe. Um, Styles that gets kidnapped at the end of season two. Um, but anyway, Styles' denial persisted longer than I thought was remotely credible. Um, it's, why, it's why it's hard for me to write a story that does not diverge from canon at the end of season two. Um, I can read them and enjoy them, but I just can't write it. Um, and I actually think, I typically have the divergence, most of my plots diverge around the kidnapping, Styles' own kidnapping, but I, I would really like to write a story where it diverges at that moment in the, in the sheriff station. I think that episode's called Fury. Um, um, so, yeah. Uh, and actually writing the story, I, I, meant, I mentioned in my notes for the EAD that um, one of my backup pairings when I was working on React last year was um, – Noah and, and Tony, but it felt kind of pseudo incestuous, so I discarded it as a as a viable op- option, which is why I wanted to plot something that 
potentially could go to them as a parent because I was intrigued by the mm-hmm. possibility of it. Um, but now that we're talking about that, I wonder, I could see Noah as a guide. I think he could be a sentinel too, but he could definitely be a guide. But that, I agree. Then that whole, how you, as much as I might enjoy, I mean, there's a world building issue there to reconcile the whole werewolves and it would probably have to be a werewolves are known and kind of AU. Um, Yeah, so that's a challenge in a Sentinel Guide story with werewolves is you've got to you've got to address the world building is, is um is a problem. But yeah, I really I had I had a, I really was entertained by that story. Um, my my uh, my plot right now for the for for the story that I'm calling a place to belong, which I might go back and call it. Sometimes my working titles stick in my brain longer, way past. And like I said, my working title for that story was overqualified. <laughs> it worked, and which is it does. Yeah, it kind of it's really still deeply entrenched in my head that that's what that story is called. Um, but that story is is going to lead to where I have where I have plotted right now is that one leads to Tony being bitten eventually because he gets injured, not accidental rogue alpha kind of thing, but it's a deliberate choice, um, which is where the place to belong thing kind of came from is that he becomes part of the pack, sort of thing. So, but um, that was I have two possible directions with that story and. Um, I don't know. Uh, one of them, one of them, one of the two, one of the two plots involved um, him being bit. So it's kind of one of those. Sometimes when I have like two paths plotted for a story, and I'm kind of ambivalent about which way I want to go, I kind of just stop and think about it for a long time. <laughs> like long, a long, long time. time in my case, it could be like a year. Oh, well, maybe I'll do this. <laughs> yeah, and then they give up the third option. It's like, oh, I could do that too. <laughs> I did consider this to be potentially a QB story. Um, it's not really it it it's um but obviously I discarded that idea because otherwise I would have posted it. Um and, and part of the reason it wasn't gonna be a QB story because I'm I was ambivalent about the final direction. But also I, I, I don't remember exactly I think I think mostly I stalled out on the whole um I couldn't pick a direction thing, but it also wasn't quite um, the kind of fix that I wanted to do. At the time, I felt like the fix was a little bit, the fix I was planning to write was a little too subtle. And sometimes it's weird how you have that perception and you kind of back away for something. And then I go, actually, that wasn't a very subtle fix at all. Huh. Huh. So. <laughs> I, you know, I for me, fix it and time travel are kind of married in my head, so I'm having a hard time separating them, um, and so that's that's an issue. Because I'm already noodling my quantum bang for next year. Yeah, I I do think time travel is like the like the ultimate fix it because it's a very deliberate fix on the part of the characters. Anything that doesn't involve time travel is more like you insert some some kind of change some kind of new event and then let the fix ripple out um, and that can be 
sometimes that can um, – so I think a lot of stories are fix-it stories. People go into the story intending to fix stuff, right? They're mm-hmm. not liking something in canon, so they fix it. Um, but it, it, it is a it, it is definitely a more subtle thing than going back in time and just you know blowing all the shit up, which is so much fun. <laughs> There's something really awesome about having a character who's in the know, who knows what people are capable of and knows what's coming, and can and can really fuck it up or unfuck it depending on you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what is coming? Um, it's just yeah. Now the funny thing is with Teen Wolf time travel because I've I've plotted at least a half a dozen Teen Wolf time travel stories. They all wind up Jen. <laughs> well, no the difference in the age is is so. You know what would be really great for Noah to time travel. Hmm, that'd be interesting. It it this is not the plot drift that we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> but just a little just a little a little dance on it. What if Claudia really was a tree? Is that who who started that? Who started that? Claire. Claire? We see you, Claire. Okay. Um but what if she was? And what didn't didn't Noah get kidnapped as part of that evil druid thing that was trying to wake up the the nematon? Yeah, that's how he found out about the. That's how he found out about everything is because you know the Duroc uh, kidnapped him. Okay, so what if when that happened, the nematon did wake up and it was Claudia, and she realized how fucked up things were, and. Magic, 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 and Noah ends up back in time. That could be a good thing. If you send him back far enough, that could be a very short story. Because if he wants you, if you avert the hail house fire, well, that could actually be really interesting if he's like there to arrest Kate right at the time. You could arrest her for pedophilia or epiphilia. Anyway, whatever it was, it was illegal in California. I'm pretty sure. Oh, well, I think Derek was 15, right? Maybe 15. He, he, was in, he was in high school, so um, I would say 15 at the minimum. Well, the way they retconned Derek's age, if you when I went and lined up stuff, when they retconned Derek's age, he would have been 19. Um, which is completely wrong. Right. So I think um, between 14 and 16, but I'm leaning towards around 15. Um, when I built my timeline with dates that gelled for me and made Derek 21, with the Hale House fire being six years prior, he would have been 15. So, you know. Um So, um, yeah, California is really um, can be very aggressive about statutory rape charges. Um, but the, I it, think it, you know, honestly, when a t- 
timeline is that convoluted, I think you just have just give yourself permission to do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. <laughs> so I do two I do two things because I do ship I do ship Derek and Styles and I do two things to bring them closer in age. One is I make Derek twenty one in the first season. Um, and based upon the house fire happening six years before, Derek is implicitly 15. And the other thing I do is make Styles repeat the third grade, the year his mother died, which makes him 17, almost 18 at the end of season two. Um, which brings their age difference down to about four and a half years, which for me is tolerable. And in most states in the country, a 17-year-old can bang someone who's 21. California is not one of those states, but in most states right. in the U.S., um, 17 is it would be illegally uh, the age. It would be actually above the age. There are only a few states where it's explicitly 17, but most states in the U.S. it actually is 16, which but, I find kind of horrifying. But what what I would say I is know. that um, what Team Wolf Fix rarely ever mention when that whole thing you know, Styles dad's the sheriff. If we get caught, you're going to jail. Um, realistically speaking. Styles would too, because it's consensual sex, and he isn't allowed to have sex under the age of 18 per California legal code. So if the sheriff arrested Derek for deflowering his son, he would have to stick his son in a cell right beside him. Oh God! Boy, they gave a they gave a canon birthday for Styles. I could never find any reference to a canon birthday. I have his. I make his birthday in September. I make it. The reason I make his birthday in September is so, so that he is basically as old as he possibly can be. Um, right. Yeah. And and still be a in the same grade as Scott, having missed one year. So. Now I read I read a lot of stories where Derek's birthday is December twenty fifth. Is that accurate? Is that canon? I have it in my notes because I used it for um, my story, Rough Edges. But in that story, I made uh, Derek and my female styles the same age. Because fuck it, I don't have any whatever. <laughs> yeah, I do know in canon that Allison's birthday, there's something, is it Allison whose birthday occurs twice in like a several month period of time? But Basically, with Teen Wolf, it's one of those rare shows where I just disregard all dates that Canon gives us because someone went through and actually tried. I mean, we talked about some another episode that someone went through and tried to build a calendar that made sense for the first season, and then they basically <laughs> put, put created their fake calendar on a year that couldn't possibly have existed. Um, <laughs> so it's like the only they they put like the date they put January first of that year. I think they picked a, a Sunday or something like that or Monday. I think they picked a Monday for January first, and like that, that there hadn't been a year that there were January first occurred within like seven or eight years on either side of canon, so because of leap years. So it was just like, well, this doesn't make any sense. These yeah, kinds of do whatever canon issues give us a lot of room. It does give us a lot of room to discard time, disregard timelines. Um, now, I do see people rearranging events. Um, I find that harder. I mean, uh, to me, that's not disregarding a timeline. Like when you have like him kidnapped, like Styles kidnapped by, um, like I read a story where Styles was kidnapped by Gerard and all that stuff. All that those events happened before the sheriff station thing happened, 
I don't get how you make make that work. Because um, after the sheriff station thing, what date is on there? Eleven seven something. Let's say eighty eight. This is eighty six. I can't see it. The November seventh. Well, November seventh. I'm 7th, an old lady. Anyway. Okay. No, it can't be 2000. That doesn't make any sense. Again, you know what we're talking about here, right? <laughs> okay, let's let's focus on our actual thing. <laughs> okay. The making up convoluted timelines and ages. <laughs> let's talk about Tony Dinozo. Yeah. Now I will say, if Tony thinking of Tony's age, I've mentioned people. I, people write me on a fairly regular basis about I got Tony's age wrong. A. Cannon didn't give us Tony's age for a long time, like more like a decade or something. Um, and when they did, they just picked Michael Weatherly's birthday. That's just lazy fucking writing because that means that he's got a five-year gap in his employment history at least. Which is how I came with his age. So, no, I don't have his name wrong. Cannon was inconsistent. I mean, the, the the writers were inconsistent, and they failed to consider their their own um, world building, and they just were lazy. I think if you leave, if you leave the five year gap in, it gives you room to give him some education that nobody knows about. Yeah, or Or that isn't publicized. Military, or military. For people who like him to have had military service, he could have been in the military in that time. Thirty-two is still a little old, actually, for the first episode. See, I'd have put him in his late twenties on the in, the in the first episode, or the or the backdoor pilot with, with Jag. I'd have put him in his late twenties. The mob years. Yeah, I, <laughs> he's under the cover for the mob for five years. That's not viable. Um, it's fun to write, but it's not viable. It is um, uh, even a full year undercover in that kind of situation. Um, is difficult to maintain unless ethics get thrown out the window and his original personality is completely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Suppressed. Yeah. A year of under, a a year deep undercover is an extremely difficult thing. Um, I would think from what I've read, even, Deep undercover, a couple of months can be a very difficult because the best deep to undercover operatives really sink into the role they're in. Um, I read a story um, yeah there is a, there's I've read at least one story where he's undercover like a decade that didn't make any sense to me. I just 
nobody can hold on to their identity being undercover that long. It would be psychologically traumatic. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but, but what he could I be really... is a double agent, kind of. Yeah, I mean, if you were to say he's in the in, he's in, in, in NCIS, and at some point he gets recruited by Homeland or something um, to inform, and he remains himself, but he does double duty. That's different than him That's being an entirely yeah d- different person. But um, I've seen that done, and it, it isn't always realistic either. <laughs> um. But there was a story I read that was really good where um, it, it, it stuck out to me for, for its portrayal of Gibbs more than Tony because Tony it was more from Gibbs' point of view. But every time Tony would come in from a deep undercover operation, he would go and he would stay at Gibbs' place and Gibbs would help him reconnect with who he really was because he would, for, he would forget. He would have a really hard time reconnecting with his own identity. And I thought that was a realistic exploration of the idea of what it's like for someone who goes undercover a lot and really assumes other identities all the time, especially if it's for more than a day or two. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so Tony's age, if whatever, for a default thing where I'm letting Tannen kind of stand, I have him born in 73. Um, if I have I have backed that up a little bit um, in other and I think in one couple stories that I haven't actually published where I wanted him there's one that I worked on where I wanted him to have done um, military service after Rima that I had him be born in 68 um, I don't remember what my reason I had another one I backed up his age to being born in 71 but I don't remember why. I have to go back and find my notes on that story and find out why I had him be a little bit older. What, but what it boils down to is that you have to um, be consistent in your own story. And as long as you maintain that consistency, you can have him be born whenever you want. Now, if we could only get the people who write um, these scripts for these shows to <laughs> adapt that rule, it would be great. If they would be consistent, that would be that would be really good. Um, well, it's sort of like that, you know, that one inconsistency that we we talked about, where that um, Tony was the mob boss that Tony brought down was in Baltimore. And yet Tony left Baltimore. He was still working as a homicide detective in Baltimore in Canon when he met Gibbs. Mm-hmm. That does not make any sense. <laughs> you you don't get to be if you're undercover and you brought down a mob boss, you don't get to stay in the same city. Realistically he'd have gone into witness protection, but whatever. Um Assuming we go I like that Fanon idea that they're fond of him, you just don't keep him in the same city, which is why I always write it, that that whole case is having happened in, in Philadelphia instead. I don't find um, Peoria really to be probably a hot, uh, you know. Cannon, he was in Baltimore. 
You find that information that in the episode so frame up. Crazy. That is so crazy. I always thought it was Philly too. Because why would he still nope. be in Baltimore? Exactly. The, and and that line about where he brought down that mob boss is in the episode frame up, which is early in season three. Um, and they talk about that mob. They're looking for Tony's enemy list of who would be framing him. And Gibbs mentions the Mike Macaluso, um, and and McGee says, "Who's that?" And he says, "He's a mob boss in Baltimore that Tony brought down." So it makes no sense that he would have stayed in Baltimore. And um, well, the only yeah, way it, would it doesn't make, make sense that he stayed in Baltimore is if he meant by brought down that he killed them all. <laughs> <laughs> there was yeah, no one left to avenge him. But obviously that was true since he was on the list of enemies. Right, that Tony maintained. Because Tony maintained a list of enemies that he had to turn over to McGee. And it was a long list. So. <laughs> I researched that episode a lot. I watched it at least three times when I was writing If Sound, Please Return. Because that episode is the kick kick. Kicking kickoff point for how they found out that Tony was Patrick's son. So, and that's when it sunk into my head. I went, wait a minute, how could he have brought down that guy in Baltimore? He was living in Baltimore when he joined NCIS. So, yeah, that's crazy cakes. Yeah, it doesn't make it. It's just it's just it's nonsense. All right, so let's. Let's talk about let's let's think of some uh, we, we gotta go up some viable pairings for somebody to be guy. I do think I do think Tony Stark is a good one because Tony Stark and there's actually a lot of interesting inherent problems with the, sometimes problems are interesting problems and sometimes problems are oh my god problems like I don't even want to deal with that. And I find the problems with Tony Stark being a guy to be interesting problems to work around as opposed to oh my god I can't bear it. Um, such as um, the whole issue with how wealthy he is. I mean, he he he's just he's going to be Tony Stark would be a very difficult guide for a center to deal with, and everybody would be wanting to pair up with him. Um, yeah, I think that realistically, Tony Stark would not register if if that was a thing um, in that particular world, and he would be. Um, really guarded, I doubt many people would even know he was a guide. Yeah. He would probably get private training for how to, you know, lock that shit down so that nobody can tell. Although I would think, it's always in my world building that Sentinels can sniff somebody out, sniff a guide out, Mm -hmm. but um, he might just avoid Sentinels like the plague. I don't know. If you're, it's true. If you're going to write a Tony Tony story, you got to deal with the name issue. You think you don't, folks, but you do. It's crazy. It's trying to work work around that. I didn't change either one of their names in Sentry, but they weren't the pairing. So when I was in um, Denozo's point of view, he always and and this is very the only part. This was the only part that was hard is having Denozo always refer to Tony Stark as Stark. That was hard for me because I tend to write Tony as being more. Those are people he likes. He's not going to think of them by their last name. So right. 
whereas Tony Stark calls everybody by nicknames. So that was easy enough. But if you, if they're in a relationship together, I had to deal. You have to deal with the name thing. Um. Honestly, the name thing is the number one reason why I wouldn't write that pairing, um, because I think they have um, they have a lot of chemistry, and, and you write it really well. But I have a hard time seeing Tony as any other name but Tony. Um, Which Tony? I can't see either one of them really as any other name but Tony. <laughs> Except you write Tony Genozo as a whole bunch of different people. <laughs> I got Alex Shepard is what broke me of my block on his name being Tony. Um, and then I really, really got over it with um, writing him as Dominic Rossi. So I really um, liked Dominic Rossi. I, I really did. He was probably my favorite um, iteration of um, Tony um, that you've done. And I love Alex, but Dominic was nice. I, I, I liked it a lot. It was my favorite. Um, that you did, but um, yeah, I, that's why I wouldn't do them as a pairing. Um, I lean towards Steve McGarrett, obviously Mothership. I'm I'm on board. I'll go down with that ship. Um, I like Ian Edgerton. Mhm. I would both seeing an Evan Lorne. I could do him as a guide. I could do yeah. him as a guide in a heartbeat. I would not be sad about that. I like Penelope Garcia, too. Yeah, I like that. Um, but Ian is very much a sentinel. Um, and I, I think Steve McGarrett can kind of go either way, but really, he's more of a sentinel in my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, the thing is, it's partially how they're portrayed in canon. I mean, Steve McGarrett, um, Hawaii is his territory. He operates like a sentinel in canon, even though there's clearly right. no sentinel. I mean, Hawaii is his. That territorial imperative he's got going on about the island makes it really hard for me to see him as a guide. Um, I actually, one of the reasons why, when I wrote the Primus story, where Tony, it was Tony and Ep, one of the reasons why, one of the, not, it was not the only thing, um, my first question, the, the question I asked myself was, that inspired the Primus verse was there's a line in Sentinel canon about Sentinels being throwbacks. I thought, well, what would a throwback guide look like? Which is where that whole idea came out of. But part of the reason why I wrote the guides the way I did was because I wanted to pair Tony with Ronan and I cannot see Ronan as a Sentinel, but I want, I mean, as a guide, but I wanted to write, um, Tony in almost more like a sentinel role. So um, that's why I wrote the guides the way I wrote them in that story, is that they were very primitive. Um, yeah, so with, with, with uh, of the pairings I've liked him the most in, of the, the, pair, the pairings I really enjoyed writing him with, the only person I've written him with so far, I think, think that I can see being a guide is um, Tony Stark. Well, I did Aaron Hotchner. I actually didn't have a problem writing Hotch as a guide, but um, I, don't think I don't think it's a pairing I would write again. I made a list. There, okay. 
Is there so, a Morgan Tony I guess Star- could be a guy? Ah. <laughs> I see him more in Sentinel. I'm just being honest. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Okay, so I made a, I made a list. Tony Stark, Steve McGarrett, Ian Edgerton, Evan Lorne, Taylor, Ronan Dex, Cameron Mitchell, Daniel Jackson, and Spencer Reed. That's your guide list? That's just my list of pairing. list, okay. Okay, so we agree that Steve McGarrett is not a good choice for a guide. And Ian is most definitely not a guide. Um, Daniel Jackson would be a very a very annoying guide. Because <laughs> mm. Daniel Jackson has a habit of getting kidnapped. Um, I, actually, I actually tried to write um, Tony Daniels for a story. I had to back it out. I couldn't get there. I, I, the chemistry wasn't gelling for me. I think they'd be good friends, but the the um, I'm actually leaning towards Cameron Mitchell. I think Mitchell, yeah. I think I think of the list. Evan is probably my favorite for mm-hmm. guide potential. I did think I was thinking that there aren't many female characters that I would pair Tony with. I do like him with Penelope Garcia, but it, I wouldn't pair him with her in a Sentinel Guide story. Um, even if he was um, the Sentinel, I, it, just, it just isn't... Um, mostly because I really do like Sentinels and my Sentinels and Guides to work in the field together. And I think Penelope would not be a field guide, obviously, which is fine. It's just so... I don't have a problem with reading that, but I, it wouldn't be my preference to write. But then I thought, I really need to pair Tony with Melinda May, but he'd be a guide again, so it doesn't solve my making him a Sentinel problem. Right, because Melinda so May the, is a Sentinel. <laughs> total Sentinel. End of story. <laughs> yeah. Now, I could I could maybe pair him with Phil Colson. I could see Phil being a guide. I see him more as a Sentinel, but I could see him as a guide. He's got that flexibility thing. If if I wasn't so, I could see Rodney being Tony's guide, except that, that like, why is no. Tony banging his brother's soulmate thing? I keep coming back <laughs> to that. No. Um, <laughs> there was a time when I wrote McKay with other people. Um, the fact, the first great story I ever wrote, he was with Evan Lorne. Um, once I got an OTP, it was a done deal. Yeah. No. 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 Can't do it. I mean, it's just like how dare you didn't think about it. It's kind of like me and Thorin and Bella slash Bilbo. What? <laughs> what do you mean there are other people on Middle Earth? Fuck you. <laughs> it can't be possible. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just no. <laughs> Tony, I really Tony Clint. Enjoy- Riding John with Laura Cadman. It was hot. I really enjoyed riding it. I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I just have a hard time. Here's the thing. When it comes to John and Rodney, I'm not quite the OTP level you are, but there's literally nobody I would pair either one of them with that I like them as well as I like them together. Um which means I would be always fighting against the pairing I thought had the most chemistry. And I just, I have a really hard time doing that. It's like, is that my fault? 
maybe. Did I? Did I'm I OTP? I'm willing to both. I may, I may just be. I may be willing to blame and and credit you for that. I don't really have <laughs> a lot of OTPs. You know, yeah, we know this. I right. Um, I have a friend who called me the ship sinker. Um, because I just don't care. Um, Clint Loki. You really get the corner. <laughs> are we? Are we? Are we going to the corner for the same thing? I think so. Clint Loki. I didn't see that first, but oh my God, you get in the corner too. I was talking about Edie and her terrible Kill John thing. What? <laughs> you need to... No, why would you do that? No, don't kill John. You can't do that. Go sit in the corner. <laughs> Here we go. There. Did you see what I did? No. Look at the channels. <laughs> we have a corner. <laughs> As you might want to start decorating it now. <laughs> she went in there and put out drinks. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're now my favorite. You are now my favorite because I totally agree that Elizabeth in a time dilation field is the best option. <laughs> Hi, husband. Um. <laughs> Hi, all the husbands that are listening. Uh, and cats uh, and dogs and a stray lizard or two. Mostly cats. Um, I actually have a problem with the idea of Hawkeye and Loki being paired together unless they're paired pre-Avengers. If yeah. they hook no, up that could work. Before, I'd be fine with that. Um, but after Avengers, uh, how could, I mean, even, you know, even though we know now that Loki was under the influence of the Mind Stone as well, that he was being controlled by Thanos, um, it doesn't or change he's been brainwashed that, by Thanos, but it doesn't change the fact that he mind raped Clint. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing. It doesn't matter that even if Clint can intellectually separate the idea that that wasn't Loki wasn't culpable, you know, it just. Um, yeah, that's difficult. MCU, when you when you open up the world of MCU to for crossovers for doing Sentinel pairings, you do open up a lot of pairing potential. Um, I liked writing Tony Bruce, but I do not see Bruce as a guide either. Um. You know what would be hilarious is if Tony hooked up with Darcy. And Darcy was his guide. And, like, Tony hires her, Stark. Tony follows her to New York, but he's not happy about this. And he just goes around glaring at all the Avengers for (laughs) 
for endangering his guide. <laughs> and he refuses to join them. He's just being an asshole all the time. <laughs> yeah. I've been in the mood to write crack lately. You might have noticed. <laughs> now, I if I were wanting to write... If I were wanting to write complete crack sentinel guide, I would probably have Deadpool be his guide. Oh my god, that'd be so great. <laughs> um I would be entertained by that, yeah. Cuz I don't really see Deadpool one way or the other. I think Wade Wilson could be a sentinel or a guide. Um but he'd be he'd be funny as fuck to write as a guide. Because he would be sense what people are feeling and stuff and have no filter about that shit. Like, are you always feeling this inadequate or is this new? <laughs> <laughs> no one would be safe. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> yeah. Peter Hale. Mm. Mm. Peter Parker. I, Peter Parker. I actually don't see him as a guide. I don't see him as a sentinel either, though. I I don't think I could put him in a sentinel or guide role. For starters, because the MCU Peter Parker is an infant. Um, he is, but also very young. even if we deal, with, even if I pick a different Peter Parker. I I didn't see either one of them. I don't really see either one of them in that role either. No. Go right over to the corner and no drinks. Ugh. Ugh. I can't even. Because you know that just, Tony's actually old enough to be Neville Longbottom's daddy? Not really. Not if Neville was born in 1980. You could write a grown ass. The thing is, I you could write a grown ass Neville who's like seven years younger than Tony, you know, and like Neville's thirty and Tony's thirty-seven when they meet. Yeah, I mean, I could make it work from an age perspective, but no. This is like I'm giving you a hard a hard no on that pairing. <laughs> no. Um, I do think somebody mentioned Peter Hale further up in the chat. I do think I could write Tony Peter Hale. I don't think I have a problem with that, but I would I would it would have to be pre pre canon. I think. Um, I do think there's a case to be made that especially before Peter went, you know, or we started betraying everybody, I do think there's a case to be made that Tony and, um, not Tony, Peter Hale in canon was batshit crazy. If he was aware and in agony for six years, that alone would have made somebody insane. The pain, the but slow to healing. survive the fire and the brutal murder of his almost entire family, um, right? The lack of pack. I think that he was absolutely crazy. Um, he did horrible things, crazy. But I think that if if they were able to take that to it, actually in the sequel to React, um, when the pack gives Tony shit about Peter not being locked up. Um, one of the things he had addressed with the with the attorney general about the whole situation was that you know that 
Peter was basically cleared as far as they were concerned. He didn't have legal culpability for the for whatever actions he had um, engaged in before he was killed and then resurrected. Um, he so I think I think that he was insane in in in, in the first season. Um, and clearly, he was saying he, he he had regained his sanity when he came back. Um, but it, I I still think I don't see Tony hooking up with somebody who is um, if he's in law enforcement. I don't see him hooking up with somebody who is tends to do a lot of legally questionable stuff. So I, Peter's a difficult sell. Like I said, unless it's pre-canon. So. Um, well, it should be an interesting fix-it, because if it is pre-canon and Tony and Peter are together, Tony would have heard that bitch coming. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't have been trapped by the the mountain ash. And that would have been one dead hunter. Very dead. That and could actually honestly, be... One of the biggest problems I actually have with Teen Wolf canon is that Derek lived in a house full of werewolves and none of them noticed that he was coming home smelling like a woman. Yeah. Like he was having sex with a woman. Because if I had, and I do have a very sensitive nose, but if I had a super nose, um, like a wolf nose, and my 15-year-old came home with someone like he'd have he'd had sex, and he's not dating anybody that I'm aware of, I would have questions. I would have a lot of questions regardless, but I would have questions. Problem I have with Team Wolf Cannon. Um, well, I think Team Wolf Cannon, when we look, at, we look at Team Wolf Cannon, if we look at it through the lens of the what's-his-face, having a hate on for men named Derek. And basically he just, he's just, he, he wrote so many awful things around Derek Hale that, um, it, it's to the point where the things he put Derek through don't even make sense. You know what? If I was that new Derek who broke that guy's heart, I would sue him for defamation or something because, yeah, the way point, this dude doesn't get to torture characters named Derek anymore. He needs to be like the rest of us. You kill your ex once in a book, you don't use their real name, and you move on. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's an interesting thought, too, because um, I would think um, the difference in hormones, the hormone levels and pheromones that adult women put off versus a, a teenage girl going through puberty would be different. Well, and they it's clear in canon that they're very sensitive to, to the smell of mood and stuff. And they talk about all this stuff about chemo signals. And there's that, there's an episode where they're, with, I think with thousands and they'll get soon, they're trying to find him and they're, they're picking up on his emotions in places where he had been. Not even where he was actively, but just places where he had been. I like, Wow, that's like an interesting sentinel. element. I was like, they threw that element into canon, and 
didn't even consider the ramifications of what that meant because it does lead to a lot of questions about how Derek was able to sneak around with Kate. Like his mother and like Peter, his mother and his sister. Was his father a werewolf or no? I don't think Most of them I see him written that he was human. So I've seen that, yeah, but I've also seen stories where he's a werewolf, so I, I actually don't know. So none of them noticed that Derek was coming home smelling like a grown-ass woman. And let's be honest, uh, sex stinks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have heard stories that try to explain that away. It's like they knew he was seeing somebody, but they were just so grateful he wasn't sad over Paige anymore that they didn't push him. But like you said, if he was 15, they had to be really concerned about who who he's sleeping with. And also, they had to be worried about security. They couldn't just afford to be oblivious to who anybody in their pack was having sex with. Right. I don't believe that showering would wash the scent of sex off of you if your nose is so sensitive that you could tell what somebody was feeling on a rooftop hours after they had been there. I agree. Showering is not going to wash away, from, wash away the scent of sex. So um, that is a powerful sniffer. I'm just saying. Especially sex in a situation where he wouldn't have had a chance to shower before he got home. I mean, it wasn't like yeah, he when, was going to her apartment, right? They were sneaking around. Yeah, Starkindler points out that there was also, in canon, there was a big issue with, because Ennis is the one who broke but Paige, but there was that whole clusterfuck with the Argents and um, Bucalian and all of the, how the Alpha Pack got started with what Gerard did at that peace summit. Um, so the Argents were on a tear, and they would have known that, so that they were so lax in their security doesn't make any sense. Now, I am looking, I did, I did start a story where I actually don't know enough about um, Laura, to, Laura Hale, to be able to say if she was good or not. But what I do know. Um, if I if I look at what Canon lays out for us about Laura, um, is that she couldn't even if she was a good person and a good sister, she was not a good alpha because she left Peter Hale in that hospital under his real name with Argent's out killing members of her family, and she ran and hid. She left him under his real name. The only person yeah. with legal, legal, legal authority to do anything for him, and she left him exposed and vulnerable, which means to me there's some, there's some implicit, and I don't care what age she is, there's an implicit responsibility that she has in that situation if she inherited the alpha powers. So like I wrote, wrote a story once where there was a conversation where um, the share. Noah's trying to understand how wolf packs work and how could Derek and Laura be in the same pack. And um, this werewolf who's talking to Noah explains to him that it's not that big a deal, actually, um, from the sense of from a wolf perspective, 
because life in PACs is different and alphas get challenged all the time, um, maybe not like on a daily basis, but alpha challenges happen. Now, granted, Peter didn't explicitly challenge her, but he had reason to. And that when a, and when a bad alpha is killed, that the pack just deals with it and moves on. It's part of werewolf life. So that Derek is a werewolf, that part of him is not going to be upset that Peter went after a bad alpha or an alpha that he perceived as betraying him. It wouldn't stop Derek from grieving for a sister that he lost, but from a pack dynamics perspective, Peter killing Laura wouldn't have been considered a problem by literally anyone because Laura had abandoned him. Um, so, And then there's this whole discussion about in, in the story about um, what, um, what werewolves in general think about what Laura did. Um, and that werewolves in general didn't, wouldn't have regarded her very well because of the way she abandoned Peter, that she left a surviving pack member so vulnerable to hunters. Um, so I, it, it's hard for me to think of her in writing from a writing perspective in any kind of a positive light because um, of, of what she did to Peter. And she's actually deeply irresponsible because then she abandons her only pack member to go back to California. I mean, Derek was her only pack member, and she left him behind to fuck off to California. Then he had yeah. to follow her and deal with her dead body. <laughs> yeah, and, and the How thing is that... Laura escaped the fire... And not seek out her own sister. It says a lot about her belief of what kind of alpha she thought her sister would be. Exactly. How did Cora, how did an 11 year old escape that fire and not end up with her brother and sister? Yeah, she was obviously terrified and running away. Um, but why wouldn't Laura have smelled her leaving the house, leaving, you know, being in the woods? I, clearly, Laura didn't stick around the house very much, right? Because otherwise, she should she should have smelled Cora out in the woods. Um, if anyone got Cora out, it would have been Peter. But I don't think she was even in the house, was she? She hid. She hid. She wasn't. She couldn't have been in the house. Pack bonds, as far as I know, and that there are some people in, in the chat who know canon way better than I do. Um, but as far as I know, pack bonds are kind of um, not well explored in Teen Wolf canon. Um, I think that Fanon really digs into that a lot more. And the degree to which they can feel each other through these bonds is very different, but it's pretty clear, however, in canon, that the alpha at least can feel their betas, and the betas can feel the call of their alpha, which meant what Laura wasn't calling out for any betas that survived. The fire happened mostly off-screen in Teen Wolf canon, although there are some flashback kind of things to it. Um so that's one thing Scott struggled with early on in canon was the call of his, resisting the call of his alpha. So if a beta resists, can, 
struggles with that. Let me, and Cora didn't know that she, her family was alive and she was so terrified. She just ran and ran and ran. Then it's kind of implicit that uh, to me that Laura never called out for any of her surviving pack members, which means she never went out in the woods. So from a, just from a purely, I think Cannon puts Laura paints Laura un, probably unintentionally as being a terrible alpha. She may have been a good sister and very loving, but she was a terrible alpha um, just for what she did to Peter alone. So I know there are stories that like, there's this major sticking point in them where that nobody can get past the fact that Peter killed Laura. And I actually, I have no problem with that. Um, yes, he ambushed her, but I think that there's a case to be made that if he hadn't ambushed her, if he had just confronted her, that he had a legitimate grievance and should should have been able to challenge her for her power. Um, so that's not a particular sticking point for me because I think that she failed him utterly. Also, once and they crazy. the whole I, yeah, once they introduced the whole idea of werewolves can take people's pain, and it clearly doesn't hurt them all that much. They left Peter in pain. They had taken Peter with them. He clearly wasn't going to die. If they had taken Peter with him, they could have helped control his pain while he was healing. Instead of letting him go insane. healed him as well. Because Alfred can heal. So he wouldn't have been in that state for years. Was it six years? Six years. That's how I've seen. Yeah. So... I think that canon makes it really, to me, it's really clear in canon that Peter is batshit insane in the first season. He's not insane after he's resurrected, but he's utterly insane in that first season. So his moral moral culpability is one thing. His legal culpability is something else entirely because either you have to, it's either not guilty. If if werewolves were known and that kind of thing ever made it to court, it would either be not guilty by reason of insanity or he would have, they would make a case for severely diminished capacity. Um, so it's it just, which always gives me that, that whole, that whole thing always gives me a more of a negative impression of Laura than Peter. I actually don't in general have a problem with Peter, depending upon where it's positioned in Canon. I have a problem with Peter fucking styles. So I, I, I yeah, that, that, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they thought that I hated Peter as a character because I wasn't so down with that pairing. And I was like, uh, no, that's not the issue. It's not Peter as a character. I found before they just started having him do, I think when they had Peter work with Kate, if, unless Peter's being mind controlled, which is the only reason that makes sense to me, I thought that was obscene that the writers went there, went to Kate, to, to Peter helping Kate. I thought that was utterly fucked up. I don't remember if that was at season four or five or six or whatever. But anyway. Um, I do think Noah no. actually would be a very good guy for Tony. Noah. Um, Noah. Yeah. Um, uh, or Peter pre-Cannon. Yeah. That'd be an interesting take on the wolf guy thing, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Spin that wolf wolf guide trope a different way. A werewolf guide. That'd be like... Of course, if you wrote Tony in the team... If you wrote sitting on Team Wolf together, 
not only would sentinels have to be known, so would werewolves. Yes. Yeah. It, it would have gotten out. Now, it could be, you could still do it it'd be a secret, but it could be the kind of big secret that I kind of have going on in React, where the government is perfectly aware of Supernatural, but they don't. Mm-hmm. They try to keep citizens from knowing about it, and Sentinels and Guides are, are on board with that program. You know, they're part of the community that helps keep the secret of Supernatural and protect civilians from Supernatural. They can even be part of an early warning system that when they when Sentinels sniff out Supernatural activity in an area, that, you know, they help coordinate with law enforcement and local wolf packs to keep civilians away from it till it's handled with, till it's handled. Because they would know before even werewolves would. Um, there were, um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, why am I blanking on the name of this creature? Kelpies. If they were, is that what they're called? Not Kelpie. Are they called Kelpies? Kelpie. That's the one that has the, the skin that they, that someone steals their skin. No, no, that's Selkie. That's a, that's a Selkie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why am I blinking on the name of that animal? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. But, you know, if they're out of the coast and they're thinking and they sniff out um, a um, a leviathan, you know, they're like, uh, okay, one of the leviathans are coming up. We need, to, we need to clear this beach or whatever so that humans don't get hurt until we deal with this. Although I think leviathans are more like, you know, call in fighter jets with... Um, yeah, we probably need to clear off this part of the continent. <laughs> yeah. You know. So, I mean, there's something... I, mean, I think if you don't want to be completely a, a known thing, um, it just be, could be kind of like um, that part of the function of Sentinels and Guides is they're kind of like in that in-between space between the supernatural world and the... That's the same thing you do in the mundane world think if you have a world where sentinels and guides are known that it becomes very easy to make something like werewolves known as well because the um it becomes a situation where okay yeah fine pixies exist um can i ask some fries with that (laughs) yeah (laughs) aliens who wants to deal with the aliens i think it's france's turn to deal with the aliens (laughs) We got shit to do. Send them That's to right. Paris. We don't have time for them. Um, so, yeah, I think you could definitely do that. Someone just pinged me. Hmm. Okay, someone asked me to explore about Derek Tony um, and why or why not. Hmm. Well, for me, it's a it's a hard no. Um, my initial thing, my my initial gut is that there'd be like a Big Brother vibe going on with Derek and Tony. Um, my brain immediately went there. You wrote it, um, didn't you? I wrote Derek and Tony. That wasn't you. Derek um, Hale. Oh, oh, I was like, I was not keeping up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I did write. I did. I did write. Sorry, I should specify. Derek, yeah, I did write Derek Morgan and Tony. Yes, I did write that, and I enjoyed it. Um, but no, this is to be asked about what I talk about with Derek Hale in terms of the team will first. Um, a Derek is too young. Um, yeah. For me. Um, so there's that. If I have, if, yeah, I, I big big age differences. But especially with somebody like Derek. If Derek was 30 and Tony was 45, I might be able to, 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 to deal with that. But I see the, Derek's not. In my mind, he would be encountering Tony when Tony's, like, in his late 30s and Derek's, like, 21. That's just too big of an age difference for, for me to, to write comfortably. But Eric, Derek, to me, is also very emotionally damaged. Um, and he, if for somebody who's that much older than him, he needs somebody kind of looking out for him, not trying to fuck him. So, right. That's why I immediately go to the kind of big brother vibe there, um, I, I, and I wouldn't write them as a pairing. Um, now, the other question, would I see Derek as a sentinel or a guide? I would see Derek as a guide. More than a sentinel. I can, that, I can see it. It would be really interesting to see t- um, Styles and Derek together as a sentinel guide pair and, you know, Stav's um, hyperactivity actually being a symptom of his latent status as a sentinel. Yeah. Now, I did, I did write, I did write a very short story. I think it's 1,500 words where Derek is a sentinel and Stav is a guide, but they're human um, in that story. And it, it wasn't like I spent a lot of time thinking that through, but, um, I think if I were to write a Sentinel Guide story that featured Derek in a, in a prominent way, that I think I would write him as the guide. Um, yeah. Somebody mentioned, okay, as mentioned, Tony Jack Dalton. I would have no problem writing Tony Jack Dalton. I, oh, Jack I Dalton. Kind of, <laughs> I, could, I could kind of see Jack as a guide, but I see him more as a Sentinel. So, oh, Daddy. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a whoa daddy moment. George Eads, what happened to you? Wow. Um, I'm sad that he left MacGyver, though. Did he? Yeah. So. I did not know that. I'm behind on the current season. Um, As looked it up. As can tell you the details. Um, I'll have to ask later. I... Let's let's plot Tony and Evan Lauren. We've got forty two minutes right. left. So what if Evan comes online in Pegasus and the SGC sends him back, you know, brings him back to Earth for his guide search and he's kind of ambivalent about it because he doesn't want to give up Atlantis. And he doesn't. He thinks he might get a civilian because none of the military guys are, are clicking with him. And he goes to a thing, and he meets Tony, and he's like, holy shit, this is going to work for me. But I want to go back to Atlantis. <laughs> so this be like um, right after the... Um... Like maybe he comes online right before the. Uh, oh, what is that called when they send more people? The second wave. 
Yeah, yeah, that was the second wave of people. That's when he came through Evan anyway. Evan was right? in the second wave. Evan was right, in right, the right. Wave. He was second wave. So, or you know, yeah, yeah, he could be agent afloat. Maybe Tony co- comes out there as agent afloat, and Evan is already online. Um, and boom, I could write that. I'd be very comfortable writing that. What if Tony was there to investigate something? What if he was there to investigate Jennifer Keller's murder? Because that's never going to get old. <laughs> no, that's never going to get old. What if? I kind of like it. What if? What if? <laughs> I can't, I don't, I'm trying to think. How, what if? Um, I was just thinking about the idea of, um, like Evan being in danger or something pulls Tony online. Well, there is the first episode we meet Evan Lauren in is the, also the episode where we meet Ronan. I think, well, that's the first time I remember re- really seeing Evan Lauren because he's not impressed with McKay and he's really annoyed with McKay. And I was like, I'm not going to like him now. <laughs> of course, he was on SG-1, but, you know, but he wasn't really an asshole on SG-1. I was kind of mad. I was like, if he's mean to my Rodney, <laughs> it is over. <laughs> um. But if and on that planet when they're on that that UV planet where Ronan is, get really hectic mm-hmm. and kind of scary. So that would be. But Lady Holder is right. In SG One canon, um, Evan is put in a serious danger as a member of um, a Stargate team. Yeah, I could write it. I could write it in. I could actually write it in Stargate timeline. That way he's part of the SGC already when the Atlantis expedition is formed. That would be really cool. And it also would lighten Tony up as far as, like, baggage goes. Because he has a lot of NCIS baggage. And so if you could mm-hmm. dump that before it happens, it would be um, – he'd be a lot smoother as a character. Yeah, what do you, do you remember what episodes at Lady uh, Lady Holder do you have could you look up or maybe if it's if it's, if it's difficult don't worry about it. What episode that episode with the Unis was? I've seen that episode but I can't even re- remember what season it was. I just know it was before season 8. Um after but yeah, that, season that, that one before season really 8. That they bring because, Evan back to the planet, and he's like, um, Hammond calls him in his office. So we've got a problem. Um, there's a sentinel sitting outside the mountain asking for you. <laughs> he's been here for two days. <laughs> you need to do something. <laughs> okay. So that's 2004. It would have, would have occurred in 2004. And um, that would have put Tony with NCIS at that point. Around three years, which is good because that's not a whole lot of baggage to bring with him. But that's it's enough baggage in like NCIS. one year, Ziva. Right, that's a lot. See, so he has his NCIS experience, um, and then coming into um, the SGC with all those Marines, he could work as an NCIS agent and be on Evans' team, and eventually get assigned to agent afloat on Atlantis. So he gets to keep his career. Because yeah. one, th- one thing that always really irritates me is to see a guide um, 
have their career and everything just stripped from them so that they're like an accessory or it. So seeing it done to a Sentinel would be just as offensive to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Tony would try. See, I've always written it that Tony has no problem at all get qualifying to be on a, on a field team. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's what, what he, he'd wind up being on a field team with Evan when when the when the epi, the, the mission launched. That's an interesting. Ellie Ellie had an interesting idea, which is that Tony comes online at Simon Kate's murder, but he ha- doesn't find his guide. Um, but they have a problem with him going in and out of being like feral every time Evan leaves the planet, and they don't know. Of course, the mundane side of the non SUC side of this has no idea why he flips out periodically. That'd be an interesting thing to explore. The problem, my problem is from a ripple perspective of that, of him going feral periodically is that they would perceive him as unstable. And he wouldn't be qualified to work in law enforcement. Yeah. He would be in a weird, Honestly, um, if he, if he went feral that often, he'd probably been institutionalized. Yeah. He probably would be sitting in an institution. I think he could do it once, and it would be he wouldn't be feral, but I think that he would go on a hunt for his guide, and that probably would if he like let's say his spirit guide could lead him to the mountain, and he could be like banging on the door of Norad, going, "I have no idea why my guide's in there, but cough him up, <laughs> bring him out, and it could be well, my guide, uh, depending on your world building that Evan Lauren is the only the only online guide in Cheyenne Mountain at the time. And they're like, someone get Lauren, because we've got a Sentinel out front. <laughs> Problem. <laughs> what could happen, though, if I wouldn't want to do the... Um, I wouldn't want to do the uh, the feral. But what if every time Evan leaves the planet... Tony has terrible dreams about what's happening to his guide. Like he sees some of the shit that Evan sees. Like the Unis. <laughs> like the Unis, yeah. <laughs> enough to put anybody off their stride. And maybe the Unis is the breaking point. And he's like, what? No, what? <laughs> this, this is not normal. I have to go find this guy. I'm done waiting. Yeah, that would be hmm. chasing him down based on dreams. Actually, he could be he could have dreamt because Jack was on the planet with the Unis, right? Because mm-hmm. Daniel was, so plus that Jack was there too. Um, Jack could um, Tony could have dreamt Jack's face and then bump into him somewhere and been like, "Wait a minute, I know you. You are not a figment of my imagination." <laughs> How could I have right. been dreaming about you? What's with the scaly guys? I don't get it. It would be a really kind of Easter egg if you if Jack asked, have you picked up any weird little black shiny things lately? Did it light up for you? <laughs> you know, there's that whole thing in canon where Jack and that really average guy were exchanging um, memories through an ancient device. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> 
I do like the idea of um, um, something like going on with with Evan pulls Tony online, and that his spirit guide leads him where to go. Because if he's being pulled online in response to his guide in danger, that to me is kind of an implicit something happening in the spirit realm is what's making that happen. So I think that his spirit guide wouldn't um, let him just suffer in ignorance about what's going on. Although it's a little bit of a difficult thing to follow a spirit guide from, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a little bit strange how you construct that journey from Washington, D.C. to Colorado because you're like at the airport. Okay, boy, what what, what plane are we getting? <laughs> well, when I did and the you... awakening, when Jim woke up from his from sleep, when Blair was calling out to him, he knew exactly where to go. There was no, I mean, it was like a, a connection on the psionic plane. So, and he didn't see any spirit animals until he got to New York. I don't mm-hmm. think. It's been a while since I read my own work. And a long time since I wrote it. So, and no one ever questioned that. So, <laughs> and comments or anything anywhere. So, it's like, you know, you could just, Tony could just, you know what, I need to go to Colorado. <laughs> just, I need to go. I'm off. I have I have I have a mission in Colorado right this very second. Um like that. I also like the idea of them just meeting by accident. Maybe Tony and Gibbs are called into the SGC to do an investigation because they had the security clearances to be briefed. Yeah. I also like the idea of them just, you know, because I do think um, logically there's an entire freaking database of military and law enforcement personnel. And if the SGC is looking for people who are gene carriers, where are they going to look besides there? Um, law enforcement, FBI, yeah, CIA. They're going to go look at the law enforcement, and they're going to look at the military. And um, they could find Tony that way and recruit him. What would be re- – well, one thing I like to do is to have the guide online already, even if the Sentinel is not online, because it seems to me that guide training – is really important <laughs> and that yeah. a guide can train a sentinel, but a sentinel training a guide seems unlikely considering the kind of skills they have to have um, in a, in that whole fan in situation. It is raining lions, tigers, and bears over here. It's been doing so for a month not really, but it but it certainly feels like it. You're getting more rain than 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 we are, and and I'm in an area that's actually supposed to be known for rain. Um, well, that's an interesting idea. Tony could come online, and and Jenny Shepard could be a, a ghoul. That would be interesting. He'd sniff it. Like, why do you smell funny? 
Although I think it would be a really interesting well, be a really interesting side plot if um, the trust when he got infected by the gold, um, if they were trying to the directors of major of major of of, of federal agencies to increase their power base. Yeah. I have a hard time seeing Ziva as a. The always have a hard time seeing Ziva as a ghoul, a ghoul because it just it's slightly to me it's slightly off that she would have been a, a content to just be in that role in NCIS investigating mundane crimes that have no real power. It doesn't seem uh, the gold are very egocentric and, and narcissistic. Yeah, I just, I mean, even if even if she, even if Jenny was a Gould too, I don't, I just don't understand why Gould would want to be in Ziva's role. I would say um, the same thing that she could be a Jaffa. Yeah, that could be. I'd have a problem seeing Eli being Eli David being Snake, but still, we come back to, the, as, as Kira said, the Gould are individually very egocentric. So where are you going to get one who's just happy to be sent out on missions for Daddy, you know, and go and go and do bag and tag and fingertip searches and stuff day after day after day after day for what purpose? Um, a director of an agency being a gold, I have no problem with. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I'd have a hard time writing that in any way that's credible to me. For, to and me, Ziva being a gold, you, I just can't quite get there. When you see gold and Canon being partners, it's normally because they're intimate partners. You see Raw with Aminette, um, but the other gold, they have Jaffa. And then there was that one guy, um, was it Sokar, who had that, who basically had Apophis working as his slave on the hell planet, prison planet. Um, So, but for the most part, gold rule by themselves and have slaves. The Jaffa. Yeah. They have and slaves. In canon, the, them and slaves who fight for them. Was there ever an instance in canon where we saw where we saw a ghoul slipped into a lowly position of any sort to act as a spy? I don't recall that. I mean, the only we we saw um, what's his face in SG? Well, he. In the SGA, but Tok'ra. he was the boss. Um, that's more like Tok'ra than it would be Jafar. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. Called... It, is, it is much more Tok'ra behavior. Now, I think the Tok'ra are assholes, so I wouldn't have a problem writing Ziva as a Tok'ra at all. Single but again, what would a Tok'ra be doing in CIS? I mean, what would be the purpose? I don't see a purpose. Maybe they know Jennifer... Maybe they're in gathering intelligence. If you want to do the Jenny's a ghoul thing, I could see Ziva being a Tok'ra. Okay. Okay. It, it's just, it's kind of a, that piece, that thing right there winds up being a whole plot to me. It's not a subplot. When you put, when you put Ziva in play, you, you've got something more than a subplot going on. Um, 
which is why if I were to have there be a subplot about the directors of the agencies and stuff and Sentinel sniffing it out, I don't think I would involve Ziva at all. Just because I wouldn't want to overcomplicate my life. Um, but you could easily have her be one of Jennifer's Jaffa if that's what she wanted to do. I, I wouldn't, that wouldn't, that, that makes complete sense. Um, okay, so um, Tony Evan Lauren. What if it's the other? What if I did it the other way around? What if I flipped it? Okay. What if Tony's the one in trouble and Evan goes to find him? In trouble where? Well, he gets in trouble a lot. Um, yeah, well, our prime point is always dead air. But there's also... Um, that's late. That's late in Stargate canon. Um, chained? There's chained. There's missing. Um, actually, that would be... Missing would be... An, actually, I think even a more interesting one. Because Evan could get, like, a vision of his sentinel in a sewer handcuffed next to a dead body, um, handcuffed to a pipe next to a dead body. And that's all he gets. Now, Tony got himself out of that pretty quickly, but um, that, that could be that I could actually have always thought that if, of, for events that might bring Tony online, missing is a very probable event. I would never use SWAC as an onlining um, uh, um, I think I think that the plague that thing I th- I don't know how Sentinel will get through that. Um, I think if if Tony had been online during SWAC, he would have died. I agree. I think he'd have probably had like a sensory collapse or something. I think it would have been too much for him, and I don't think it would bring him online because I it's my head canon that that Sentinels won't come online in situations where being a Sentinel would 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 make their situation worse. And I think that it would be too traumatic for him to come online during SWAC. Um, but I could see that whole situation in the sewer bringing him online. That's season one. Um, I do find SWAC to be a fascinating episode to write around in general. Um, but just from a Sentinel Guide perspective, if Tony's a guide in that, that's not a problem. But if Tony's a Sentinel, yeah, it, it's really that's a really difficult episode to write him being a sentinel in. Kate being killed could easily pull Tony online. Um, but I often, I, 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 missing has always kind of stuck out for me because um, there's a whole the, the whole situation is kind of set up to kind of I would think trigger someone into coming online. The the being under the underground and the sewer thing the. There's an element of sensory deprivation there, the danger, um, that he's got somebody who he feels like he needs to protect. Atlas is still alive. He feels like he needs to protect him. Um, I do think there'd be like a, that whole situation could easily bring, bring him online. And it would be an alarming kind of like vision for a, a guy to get. Uh, this is very alarming. Sentinel's in right now. Now, by the time Evan got there, 
Tony would be, because Tony got himself out of that situation fairly quickly. But um, now you could write it that he was didn't get out of it all that quickly. Coming online could have made things a little bit harder for him to some degree. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting. It would be an interesting episode to write that around. But Chain is another one. Um, I don't see being tossed that that whole F being tossed out on the freeway by the body by the FBI that that was a I don't see that bringing somebody online, but that was yeah, but it's bizarre it, it thing for them to write careers. In. <laughs> yeah, because they could have gotten Tony and other people killed with that stunt. So, um, the injury bringing a sentinel online is, a, is I don't really see injury bringing sentinels online. I actually would think injuries would do the reverse; they would keep you from coming I'm online because injuries um, the sentinel canon is that they are the protectors of the tribe, that they are the fittest, the sharpest, the most dangerous, they're throwbacks, and if he's injured, he's not fit to fight. Yeah. Um, I do think Missing could bring him online. I think Chain could bring him online. Um, I think even potentially there's some stuff around Meat Puzzle that could bring him online. Um, Meat Puzzle is the one where that serial killer stalking Ducky. Ducky. Um, because Tony's on Tony's protective detail. Uh, Tony's on Ducky's protective detail. Um, and so that could be stirring up those, that sentinel imperative, um, especially when Ducky gets abducted. Um, then there's the one where Aerie shoots, uh, what's his name, um, in the, um, in the, in autopsy. What was his name? The The first assistant? Gerald. Gerald. No, it's Gerald. Um, um, but I like the idea of, of Evan having a vision of him and going, what? No. <laughs> we have to go. We have to go now, right now. Fox, what's up happening? Boxed in could easily bring him online. Um, they're being trapped in that. Uh, um, because boxed in was a case, and the reason why I think boxed in is because I think the thing—it's just this is just my headcanon thing going on here—but that situations where you're, if your senses were sharper, it would help you, are circumstances where it would help to be, where it might trigger them to come online, and. In boxed in, being able to hear what was going on more out that out of that box would have helped to some degree. It wouldn't have gotten them out of the box, but it would have let them know where people him know where people were. Um, if he could hear the position of people outside, so I think any time where you have a sensory impairment, like boxed in, like missing, um, that those are circumstances where you might see someone triggered to come online, as opposed to. Um, any kind of injury. I'm trying to think of anything around Domino that would have brought Tony online other than being pissed off. Um, I hmm. would actually um, think that Shepard's murder would have brought him on before the Domino episode ever happened if he wasn't already online. Yeah, yeah, that could have. 
But Domino, Domino, Tony, when Tony was in danger in Domino, um, the only time he was in danger there was they were doing that. It wasn't anything out of the usual, out of the ordinary. There's nothing out of the ordinary. What was out of the ordinary about Domino and why it sticks out as a very specific, um, like infiltrating, getting that information, and getting you know Ziva's bad behavior, getting Tony get a rifle butt in the face. Um, that was what was that was annoying. But the, the actual act of, of slipping in there and trying to get that data that was not, nothing out of the ordinary over their normal work. What was out of the ordinary about Domino, and I think why Domino annoys people. Um, we're talking about the cloak dagger episodes. Um, is that Gibbs? In my mind, Gibbs betrayed Tony in that episode by withholding information. And I don't know that I don't know that that kind of personal betrayal is something that would trigger somebody to come online as sentinel. It it might as a guide, but if we're talking about specifically it's things that might trigger a sentinel to come online, I think not trusting your boss. I don't really know that I. There's no appreciable physical danger to him or the tribe by Gibbs withholding information. It just, it was really hurtful. And shitty. Yeah. Um, I think I would go with your first choice, Missing. Yeah. I think for an event that would pull... um, Evan to him, I think... and 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 it lines up well... That if that season lines up well with Stargate Canon, in the sense that that season was in 2003, which occurs even which occurs the, the year se- season six, I believe, of Stargate SG1. Um, so it's a couple years before the Atlantis expedition, which would give Tony time to um, um, get integrated with the SGC and be part of and get on a field team and be ready to go to Atlantis with Evan. Um, Yeah, the ep- the episode where where um, Gibbs was being held hostage, I think that could trigger Tony to come on. If, if he felt, particularly if he felt the strong affinity for Gibbs, um, if he write it that way, not not necessarily romantic, but if he really cared about Gibbs, um, that Gibbs being held hostage could be a, a, a trigger of some kind. Um, exactly, Claire. That's what I was thinking too. Claire says. There's also the fact that the later you leave it, the worse the situation would probably have to be because otherwise, why didn't one of the other situations bring him online? Yeah, the only thing, one thing is when Tony was undercover with Ziva, the only thing that happened to him was that he got beat up. And Tony, um, yeah, I, I, I I agree that it's difficult. If you're going to pick a canon NCIS event that is going to pull him online, I think it has to happen in the first three seasons. Otherwise, you do then have the credibility question of well, why didn't it happen already if it was going to be a sensory thing. Um, so I did, my my gut reaction is the my 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 first impulse was missing would be the the the, the event. Um, now. I don't need to line up the timelines of, of Stargate and, and, and NCIS because I often have moved Stargate timelines around, like move them you know, forward or backward a decade. I think for 
journey home, I just moved the Stargate timeline forward a decade. I think that was my, my way of handling it. Um, but when things kind of line up, it's really well. Now, I don't adjust timelines in shows that are in the same universe. That is crazy cakes. But if the shows are not in the same universe, you can adjust one's timeline relative to the other. But one of them has to be fixed. You have to pick which one you're, which one you're going to go with and then adjust the timeline of the other one. Um, you can't have them both flip sliding around. That's just that's just kooky. Um, and difficult to keep track of. And you don't want to make decisions that will make it hard for you later to keep track of your continuity. Right. So I just want to address this one. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I just want to address this one about Tony hiding that he's online because I'm an unbonded Sentinels can't work in the field. That would I wouldn't write that personally because it shows a lack of um, it shows a lot of negligence and a lack of care on Tony's part because there would be reasons why unbonded sentinels can't go out in the field and him ignoring that um, shows a cavalier attitude towards other people's safety and his own safety and I I just wouldn't choose to to write him disregarding a regulation like that. No, I wouldn't. Um, So he could you could write him already be online, but it could be that a sentinel and guides don't have to disclose. Although I would actually think sentinels would have to disclose because of the, the issue of them zoning, and you can't have it be unknown that you have a sentinel on your team who might suddenly check out. It would have to be a factor that teams would have to account for, unless you want to take the zoning out of the out of the equation. So. Um, if I just would not, I would not personally ever choose to write Tony disregarding a, a, a regulation like that because it could cost him his career, and it also could potentially be negligent. So, if somebody got hurt because he was disregarding that, so I just it's not a way I would choose to write him. Usually, um, it's more the implications of what. Um, well, yeah. It, but if 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 the gut if the, if your employer has said it matters and you choose to disregard it, um, don't ask, I don't think that's quite the same thing as don't ask don't tell because don't ask don't tell was as ugly as it was was basically saying we're not saying you can't be gay we're saying you can't tell us that you're you're gay and we can't ask you if you're gay, um, which isn't so at being all gay doesn't thing. impact your ability to work in the field and protect other people. Um, yeah. But being a sentinel with advanced senses um, could very easily fuck you up in the field, and if no one knows that that's a problem for you, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And it says something about a, a, a person's, your, your person's character. It speaks to their characterization. If they're if they're a, 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 a federal agent willing to disregard those kinds of regulations, um, even if the sentinels in general think they're unnecessary, if if they haven't been able to get those regulations overturned, it either says that the regulations are necessary or that sentinels have very little power to affect change, which says something about the world. So there's all these implicit consequences of decisions like that. Um, and also, truly them, not signals ignoring that would imply a um, an ethical 
behavior situation with Sentinels, the slaps in the face of of fan and convention as far as the Sentinel goes, um, but also implies that the Sentinels in your world are perfectly willing to act in ways that are deemed to be unethical by society at large. Yeah. And one of the ways I deal with, and this is just part of my world building, other people have done different things, I don't have the unethical sentinel in my world because it solves a problem. Like if, if a sentinel goes bad, they become dormant. Now, there's lots of reasons for dormancy in the way I write Sentinel Guide, but if they start having ethical problems, like, you know, they, they start, they don't, aren't paying attention to um, their primary imperative, which is to protect the tribe, um, that they go dormant. And that is, that allows society to trust them and to be grateful to have them. If sentinels are a source of potential ethical issues or a source of criminal behavior, society is going to want to regulate them very heavily, which then gets into a whole dystopian thing that I wouldn't want to deal with at, at all. Now, everybody has different tolerances around that and preferences for how they write it, but that's just a way I make simplify my own world building and not have to deal with that angle is yeah, yeah. I mean, I would think if you were a very high-level sentinel and you were unbonded, that your life would be very restricted uh, in a lot of ways until you sorted yourself out with a guide um, or at least had a temporary guide because somebody asked me points out in the chat, chat, how do you how do you drive a car safely without being a risk to people? It would kind of um, like being having um having epilepsy, you wouldn't be allowed to drive. Right. Now people with epilepsy eventually do get their driver's license, but they have to be on medication and have to have been seizure free for X amount of time and a doctor has to sign off on it. So um I would think that being a sentinel especially if you have really advanced senses, um, if you're a high level sentinel, that you would have to have been bonded and, and be stable in your bond and show that you haven't zoned. And that every time you zone, you know, it, it's something that has to be reported. Because it, it's a safety concern. Otherwise, you can't let, you know, how do you let, how do you let them get out and shoot guns and stuff? It's, it's... Well, but I would think that... Um, but that's for like anybody, literally anybody can have a seizure. So um, if the odds of, of bonded sentinels, it all depends on how you write it. You know, I, I would not, if I would write it that bonded sentinels only, you know, zone in extreme situations. Um, so now typically, I don't typically uh, explore too much the whole unbonded sentinel zoning thing, um, like in, when they're driving and, and stuff because it adds a layer of complication in world building um, in the world building that I haven't wanted to deal with in the past, but it is something to consider that it is a very real issue. So you can't just have there be a regulation about you're not allowed out in the field and then just ignore that, regu- have sentinels ignoring that regulation. Well, there there's, was- a, <laughs> there's a throwaway line in Ascendant about Tony wearing a bulletproof vest um, whenever he's in the field. Um, and that all guides, unbonded or not at NCIS are required to wear a bulletproof vest when they're in the field because one of the leading causes of um, feral episodes among sentinels is a wounded guide. 
it's just a little throwaway line that I put in there. And then the more I think about it, the more I realize there probably should be a little bit more detail there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially, like, if you have, I would think if you had, like, a guide bleeding at a crime scene, that they would be like, we got to get them out of here now. Because if there's a lot of sentinels on police forces and stuff, it could yeah. be a major distraction. Is there a guide bleeding a mile from here? I can't deal with it. Well, I don't know that it's a case of, of can't. Um, I'm saying that if there's a regulation, so we're talking, what we're doing here is we were, we're drawing the logical conclusion about the, there being a regulation about unbonded sentinels in the field. Is that if you write a regulation like that into your world as the reason why your sentinel is hiding, then yes, it's potent, you know, it could be and that, the logical then, the more you take that out to its logical conclusion, maybe unbonded sentinels aren't allowed in the military or in law enforcement. That could be the truth. But that's where you, but this is exactly the, the reason why you have to explore the ripples when you put in a piece of world building to make your plot happen that has, by its nature, implicit consequences. So, I typically write unbonded sentinels working in law enforcement. And the, um, like in uh, several stories I've had, there's guide pools of like temporary guides um, who can go out in the field with them to help them if they're going to use their senses. But that one of the things that unbonded sentinels learn how to do is keep their senses dialed down. It's one of the things they have to do is if they're not bonded, they have to learn how to keep their senses below a certain level so that they don't spike their senses in the field. Otherwise, they have to have a guide to help them use them. Which um, makes sense. Right. That they're going to use their senses until they're bonded, they have to have a guide with them. So there's ways of addressing these kinds of things in your world building, but it's just one of the things you have to kind of think through what the consequences are of those kinds of choices. I wouldn't personally choose to write sentinels being so restricted that they're almost unfunctional until they're bonded because yeah, it is very that limiting. approaches that whole slave thing that happened in the Sentinel um, um, fandom. Uh, I remember stumbling across a fic where Jim had to register as a Sentinel and he'd been hiding and he had to go through all these this training and stuff and one of the things that he had to wear was a chastity device. Ew. Because Sentinels were... Um, if a sentinel zone, they were vulnerable to being sexually assaulted in this world. And the device was front and back for a man. Ugh. And his conservator kept the key. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done, sentinel fandom. I'm done. And I, I clicked. I, I clicked. Uh. Anyway, 30 seconds. <laughs> you guys. Have a great Sunday. I'm sorry to end the podcast on that note. Say good night, Dilly. <laughs> good night, everyone. <laughs>